Family Sunday, last Sunday of the month, so the children stay in here with us. Um, on the other Sundays of the month, uh, the children go downstairs. And I have a book, The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. If you have a child who, in the house who is um, really five, six, or younger, um, I think this would be a really good book. Um, it walks through on how we begin with God in the garden, but because of sin, we're separated from God, how God begins to redeem man. Um, and in the Old Testament, we see that there is a tabernacle that is set up, um, but the tabernacle has a curtain. And when the temple is built, and there's a temple in the curtain, and the temple separates the people from the presence of God. But at the death of Jesus Christ, that curtain is torn, and we are invited into the presence of God through faith in Jesus. So if you would like a book, and you have, I would say, really a six-year-old, five-year-old, or anything younger, this would be really good. Come see me afterwards, and this is your book. Um, we are getting ready for Easter, as Andrew mentioned. Um, and to give you a heads up, we're going to go through the entire book of Esther on Easter. Uh, so be reading Esther. I think it's 10 chapters. It doesn't take too long to read. It's an amazing book about God's sovereignty and how he is working. And we're going to see how he works, how he works through history, and then through the bringing in of Jesus Christ, his son, dying on the cross and raising him three days later. So I just want to encourage you uh, to be preparing for Easter. Today we're going to continue in our series in Galatians. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 16. We started the series a few weeks ago, and we're making our way through the entire book of Galatians. So I'll let you turn to Galatians 2. Um, as we begin, we'll start out with some common knowledge. Apples come from apple trees. Peaches come from peach trees, and cherries come from... See, you guys... You guys are good. It makes, uh, apple trees make apples because of the root. It's because the root, uh, the DNA, it tells it to make apples. Uh, the root determines what the tree produces. And in the same sense, our hearts are what determines our actions. Your words, your thoughts, your actions, they're all produced by your heart. If we have words and actions that please God, that honor Him, it means that we've been given a new heart by God that we would honor Him. If we have words and actions that are about pleasing ourselves and making us look good and about making ourselves king, then it reveals our sinful heart that still needs to be redeemed. So today in our passage, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to rebuke the Apostle Peter because Peter's actions are not in line with his heart. He believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet his actions are disconnected. There's an inconsistency that's happening with Peter. Peter knows Jesus is the Son of God, and salvation only comes through faith, but Peter is acting as if salvation comes through work. And we do this at times, right? Sometimes we live inconsistently with what we believe. We say that we love Jesus. We say that Jesus is our king. We say that we want to honor him and, and to love him and to worship him in everything that we do. And yet at times, our actions seem to deny that. And so today we're going to see, what do we do when that happens? What does Paul do to Peter, and what are we to do with one another and to ourselves on a daily basis? And so I want to encourage you uh, to go ahead and stand. We stand when we read God's Word. We do so because we believe it's the inspired Word of God coming with His full authority. And so in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, this is what we read. 
But when Cephas came to Antioch, this is Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that reveals you and reveals what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word today, and we see clearly that the gospel comes to us. The gospel of faith in Jesus Christ come to, comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Our justification is through faith by grace and has nothing to do with our works. May we praise you because of that, God. God, work in us today. May your spirit encourage us. May your spirit awaken our eyes to the beauty and the amazing gift that you have given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear now and eyes to see. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, as you see, there's a problem in this text. Uh, Peter, the apostle, he goes by Cephas here, he denies the gospel because he fears man. And so what we want to do, what I want to do is just outline the situation, we see what's happening, and then we're going to look at what the solution is. So, uh, number one, we see Peter eats with the Gentiles. We see that in verse 12, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, eating with people in the first century was a big deal. It showed people that you accepted them, it showed people that you associated with them. Philip Ryken, the pastor and president of Wheaton Seminary, said... In Judaism, table fellowship means fellowship before God. And so because of this, Jews do not eat with non-Jews. There's no eating with Gentiles. And they would go through cleansing rituals before they would ever eat. They wanted to make sure they were clean. So before they were to come before God in this meal in which they knew was provided to them by God, they wanted to make themselves clean. Now, this is not like parents when we cause our children to go and wash their hands. We do that because, well, because we don't want those germs and stuff. They did it as a means of making their heart clean, making themselves worthy to come before God. And they would never eat with Gentiles because they were unclean, and therefore that would make them unclean. So here's the thought that took place. My actions will determine my cleanliness. So my fruit, the things that I do, is what will make me a good, or what will give me a good heart. So this is why the Judaizers still wanted to depend upon the Old Testament law. They thought their law keeping is what would make them right before God. But Peter knows this isn't true. Like, 
Peter knows this is not true. In fact, Peter knows this better than anyone. He knew that neither food nor drink nor skin color nor ancestry nor any type of cleanliness nor any type of work that we do can actually make us clean before God. Um, I want to encourage you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. You can keep your, your, your finger in Galatians 2, but go to Acts chapter 10. There are many, every chapter in the Bible is inspired, every chapter is good. But there's certain chapters that are kind of key chapters in the Bible that give additional explanation. Chapter 10 in Acts is one of those. So um, we want to know this passage right here. So I encourage you later today, later this week, continue to read through Acts chapter 10. Now in Acts chapter 10, Paul or Peter, go, and I'm, just so you know, I will probably switch Peter and Paul like a dozen times today. It's up to you to know which one I mean every time. Because, like, I was talking through this earlier, and yeah, it's helpless. So, if, if I get it right, that's grace right there. So, just know that. Um, but in this section, Peter, not Paul, um, he goes into a trance. He's in, he's in uh, upstairs in his house, and he goes into a trance, and God gives him this vision. And this vision is a large sheep being lowered from heaven, and it has birds and reptiles and animals on it. And God says, Peter rise up and kill kill and eat and in verse 14 of acts chapter 10 peter responds by no means lord for i have never eaten anything that is common or unclean he's saying look i don't do that i won't touch anything that is unclean i won't make myself unclean by eating unclean things god replies in verse 15 what god has made clean do not call common and then we're told this happens three times. So three times he has this vision. The sheep coming down, the go and eat. Peter says, no, I won't do this. And three times he repeats this. After this, Peter wakes up. There's a knock on the door. There's uh, a few guys there who have come from Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, who is asking Peter to come with them. So Peter gets a couple guys, and they go with them. Now, Jews do not eat with Gentiles and Jews do not visit Gentiles. And these are just not, think very black and white, going back to the 50s and 40s. Um, lots of racism here. And so Jews do not eat with Gentiles. And in fact, if you look at verse 28 in Acts chapter 10, Peter arrives and he's going to let them know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But here it is. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter's beginning to understand this vision that God has given him. He's beginning to say, okay, maybe these Gentiles are not as unclean as what I thought that they were. Peter then, in verse 44, he preaches the gospel, and what we see is that they receive the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Peter's a Jew. In his eyes, Jews are the people of God. Jews are who are saved by God. And now he sees Gentiles, by the preaching of the word, receive the very same Holy Spirit that he received. And what we're told in verse 45 is that they were amazed. The Jews also with Peter are amazed that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. In this passage, we see Gentiles are saved not by keeping a law, not by any external work, 
but simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Look, when we trust in laws, who do we trust in? We, yeah, we trust in ourselves. And when we trust in ourselves, we begin to think that everyone else needs to act like us also. We begin to, this is what the Judaizers thought. Everyone needs to become a Jew if they really want to be saved. This is what sometimes we do as Christians. Everyone needs to read the Bible as much as I do. Everyone needs to think the way I do. Everyone needs to have church attendance like the way I do. And we say, if you really want to be saved, you really need to be more like me. And when we're focused on the law, we're not focused on law on God, but we're focused upon our glory. But the thing is, God is not interested in making a Jewish people for himself. He's not interested in making a Gentile people for himself. He's interested in making a new people for himself, a Christian people, one that's made up of both Jew and Gentile and who are united by faith in Jesus Christ. This is what's so amazing. In the first century especially, um, it was amazing to see Jews and Gentiles come together because when they came together, Jews and Gentiles, different races, different tongues, different languages, different tribes, different races coming it was because of the gospel that they came and ate together. So it was a picture of the unity that we have in Christ. So even as we gather right now, and we have different races and with different cultures represented, even as we have donuts before service and we fellowship with one another, as silly as donuts are, I mean, they're amazing, right? And Emily, we're so thankful for especially the chocolate ones. My kids are thankful for probably those uh, sprinkled chocolate ones. Um, not enough maple, just saying, not enough maple. Not <laughs> so that gets the amen. <laughs> um, but when we do that, those are ways we're demonstrating our fellowship. Not demonstrating what we have created, but demonstrating what God has created by giving us new hearts in Christ. So the problem continues. So that, that lays out what did happen. But then the problem occurs. Men come from James. Now who is James. Well, James is the apostle. He's the brother of Jesus. He's the head of the Jerusalem church. Pretty important guy. And we see that when these men that come from James, uh, they come, Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. Why? Look at verse 12. At the end of verse 12, it says, Fearing the circumcision party. So who's this circumcision party? Well, these are the very same people that are, are persecuting Paul at Galatia. They're the ones who are saying, look, Jesus is okay. Like, we don't necessarily have a problem with Jesus, but let's not get carried away and think that he's sufficient to actually save us. We still must keep the Old Testament law. Their gospel formula was Jesus Plus, Old Testament law equals salvation. They want to make everyone into Jews. They want to make people like themselves. And it's these people that Peter fears. Now, what does it, why does Peter fear them? We're not told at all. We can guess, but we're not told. Perhaps, perhaps he sees these guys come from Jerusalem, where James is, and he sees they don't eat with the Gentiles. And he starts wondering, did I get Acts 10 right? Did I mess something up? Is it really okay to eat with the Gentiles? 
Maybe there's two tiers of Christianity. Maybe they're Gentiles, the lower Christians, and then there's the Jews, the upper Christians, the ones who are really saved, the ones who are sit extra close to Jesus because we keep the Old Testament law. Maybe that's something going through his head. Maybe he simply wants them to like him. He knows these guys have the ear of James. I mean, they go and James will talk to them, and they'll talk to James, and he wants James to get a favorable report of him. So maybe he's going to separate himself from the Gentiles because he wants them to like them. Have you ever pretended to be someone you're not? Have you ever done so so others would like you? I mean, think about it. Is that not common that we still do? Uh, I mean, I go back to like junior high and high school. I know we have students in in here. Um, Are we not struggled with temptation and compromising on what we believe so that we would have friends because we want to be accepted? And so we'll either like things or, or not like things or be a part of things or not be a part of things or lie about things simply so that other people will accept us. Why do we do this? It's because we fear man. It's because we fear man. And so I want to define what it means to fear man. And I think to do that, it's easiest to first start, what does it mean to fear God? Because what we do is we see the fear of God run all the way throughout Scripture, um, from Genesis to Revelation. To fear God is to rightly know God and rightly respond to God. It's to rightly know God and rightly respond to God. So it's to have a, a correct understanding that God is the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign God of all the universe, the one who has sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. It's to understand that. It's to understand that we're only saved by grace through this God, and therefore we respond to him in faith, in worship, in joy. A good illustration of this is the story of David and Goliath. Many of you know this story. Um, David is the small shepherd boy, youngest of his brothers. His oldest brothers are with the Israelite army. They're fighting the Philistines. David comes and visits his brothers. They're all scared because there's a giant who's almost 10 feet tall, and he's threatening all of Israel. And so back then, there was a common practice, and they would have two of the strongest people fight, one from this country, one from this country, and whoever went, whoever won, the other country, the losing country, would become the slaves. And this was a way to prevent mass casualties, and so it was kind of a merciful way to end a war. So Goliath is standing up, almost 10 feet tall, and I don't think he's like one of those stick guys who's tall. Like, I think he's thick. Like, he's strong, he's ripped, and he's standing 10 feet tall, and he's saying, come fight me. And all of Israel, I mean, like, I would be like half his height. All of Israel is scared of this man. And then David shows up, little shepherd boy. And he shows up, and he says, why are we scared here? He says, well, do you see the size of that guy? He's threatening all of us. And so David is not scared at all. In fact, he says, but but we're the people of God, right? We're the people of God. We're the ones who God works through. We're not scared of this guy. Eventually that word gets to Saul. David gets brought before Saul. And David says, you know, I'll, I'll take him. Now just imagine being king at that moment, trusting the entire fate of Israel into a small shepherd boy. So Saul's not thinking right, but for some reason he says yes. And then he says, here David, use my armor. David says, no, that's okay. I have a slingshot. 
and I saw a cool rock over there by the, by the creek bed. And so he goes, he picks up five rocks, four he puts in his pocket because he knows he doesn't need them. He takes one, he goes to the line where he's going to fight Goliath. Goliath comes charging at him, or first Goliath says, who is this dog that comes before me? I mean, this is a person who probably comes up to Goliath's shins. I mean, he's not threatened by this person at all. In fact, he's insulted. He's going to destroy this person. And David says that he is going to win this battle, not because of his might, but because of God's might, that everyone would know it is God who fights for Israel. My wife shared with me today, apparently there's these memes. I just learned what memes are too, so she's, uh, she's teaching me a lot today. Um, and it says, when the Goliaths in your life show up, you need to find your inner David to fight them. That is not what the story is about, is it? The story is about God fighting for Israel. It's not about David. It has nothing to do with David. It's the fact that God fights for us. The only thing we see David do is fear God. He rightly understands who God is, and therefore he rightly responds. And so when we turn this now back to this text, and we say, well, what is it to fear man? What's to treat man as we ought to treat God? is to treat man as we ought to treat God. To fear man is to replace God with man and respond to man as we ought to respond to God. So when we fear man, we're revering man rather than God. And when we revere man, we deny the truth of the gospel. This is what Peter is doing right here. When we fear man, we deny the gospel. He wants to please man, this circumcision party, more than he wants to worship God. And therefore, he compromises on the gospel. And his actions show that Jesus is not sufficient to save, but yet we need to keep Old Testament law if we truly want to be saved. Fear of man will always exalt man and glorify man and never glorify God. This happens today in the church also. Uh, we can look at other churches and say they have a different view on a certain doctrine, maybe on tongues, or maybe they use a different Bible than we do. Maybe they use the King James Version. That's a tough version. I don't recommend that one as much anymore unless you're really good in the King James. Um, but maybe they use that version. And we say, well, you know if they... If they were really good Christians, they would use the version that we use. Or if they were really good ver- Christians, they would hold the same view that we have. Or maybe we, we look at other Christians and we say, if they were really good, if they really wanted to be saved, they would attend church like we do. They'd pray like we do. They'd read the Bible like we do. They would dress like we do. They would share the gospel like we do. And what we're doing is we're just saying, everyone look at me rather than look at God. And in verse 14, we see that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, the words not in step literally means not ortho-walking. Now, ortho means straight. Do you know why we call them orthodontist now? <laughs> Makes the teeth straight, right? So see, now, a little side note there. Um, The gospel saves us, transforms us, that we would now live a new way. We've been given a new heart. Now our actions, the fruit that comes from our life, is now going to point back to the gospel. 
And so therefore, our actions are to be in step with our heart, the fact that we have been saved by Jesus. Sure, we still wake up, we still go to work, we still eat, we still sleep, we still do things we did as unbelievers, but we now do them with different attitudes and with different motives. We still spend money, right? But we now spend money differently. We give money to the church. We look at how we can advance the kingdom. We look at how are we giving to the poor. We continue to look at how can we give more money away rather than how do I just make more money for myself. We continue to ask ourselves, how do we not just satisfy our desires, but how do we make sure we're following after the desires of God's heart? So if we keep reading, we see then that Paul says, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That might seem like gibberish at first. You read it like a hundred times and it starts becoming more clear. Um, Paul is saying to Peter, look, you know that you've been saved by the faith of God. You live like a Gentile. I mean, not at this very moment because you're eating with only Jews but before that you were eating with the Gentiles you live like a Gentile not like a Jew like someone who's only saved by Old Testament law why then would you take Gentiles and try to force them to follow Old Testament laws he's saying you don't follow Old Testament laws why would you make other people follow Old Testament laws in order to be saved and so that's the point that Paul is getting across here he's saying you're being a hypocrite, Peter. Fear of man will always lead to hypocrisy. When we fear man, we're becoming what we are not. We become hypocrites. Now, hypocrisy comes from the Greek word actor. And what actors used to do, um, unlike movies today, uh, they would put masks in front of their face. And as they put mask in front of their face, that was the character that they were going to be. So one person could actually be several different characters. And what they would do, by changing the mask, they would then become a new character. And they simply were pretending to be people that they were not. This is what Peter is doing. He's being a hypocrite. He knows he's been saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works, but now he's acting as though Jesus has not cleansed him. He's acting as though Jesus has not made him righteous. He's acting as though he still needs to keep the law. And guess what we see in verse 13? The rest of the Jews act hypocritically along with him. Even Barnabas is led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter's hypocrisy, his denial of the gospel, has affected the rest of the Jews in the church. So now, all of the Jews in the church are now denying the gospel, and they're acting as though the blood of Jesus Christ is not sufficient to save. Listen, when you fear man, you're pretending to be someone you are not, and it always affects others. We do this at work. We pretend to be something we're not so that we'll be accepted. So our colleagues will think highly of us. In junior high and high school, we do this. It's a time where almost every kid, I think, fears their peers. They want to be accepted. They want to be liked. They're willing to compromise in their beliefs. They're trusting that their works, who they can make them be, will make them happier than who God has made them be. Listen, when you fear man... The people who like you don't actually like you. They're liking this fake person that you're pretending to be. The fear of man 
is all about pleasing yourself at whatever cost. It's not about pleasing God. It's not about embracing the new identity that our Father has given to us in Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is, before we look at the solution, I just want to give three statements and unpack them shortly. What we believe is revealed through what we do. Just recapping here. Apples come from apple trees, peaches come from peach trees, cherries come from cherry trees. Our works, our actions, our words, our thoughts, they flow from our heart. They're all intended to show what we believe, whether we believe in Jesus or whether we do not believe in Jesus. Number two, what we do reveals what we believe about the gospel. By not eating with the Gentiles, Peter is revealing that he thinks the Jews are not really, are the, the Jews are the real people of God and that Old Testament law is necessary for salvation. He's now living inconsistently with the gospel. He's forgotten who he is, he's feared man, and therefore acting as a hypocrite. And this is something that we also wrestle with here as Christians. As Christians, we all affirm John 14, 6, right? It's one of those passages we just need to know. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We all affirm that. We know no one gets saved except through the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We know that people need to hear about the Word of God. And if we believe that, won't we share the gospel with our neighbors? Won't we share the gospel with those we drink coffee with at the coffee shop with? Won't we share the gospel with our coworkers? But how often are Christians silent? Yet we say we know the only way the gospel goes forth is through the preaching of his word. And yet so often we're silent. Or as Christians, we affirm that God reveals himself to us through his word. We know that it's through the word of God. We see God. We understand God. We don't need special revelation. We have 66 books inspired with his word. We don't need a special note from God. We have a book from God. And yet, how often as Christians do we not read the Bible? Or we make excuses for how these other things distract us and take us away from the word. As Christians, we know that God has saved us and made us holy, that our lives would be living sacrifices for God. He literally says, you are the holy temple of God, corporately as a church, but also individually because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And because of this, our language should be different, right? As men, we shouldn't laugh at the things that other men laugh at at work, right? Some of the jokes that are told. And yet, I know, I've talked to many of you military. You've mentioned how hard it is. Everyone there curses. Everyone there talks about things that are not good. And it's easy just to participate in them. And yet, we are called to be holy. We've been given a new identity in Christ. No longer do we talk about, no longer do we speak in the same way. No longer do we gossip. No longer do we have sex outside of marriage because we desire to honor God with our bodies and we know that He satisfies us more than our physical desires. It also affects the TV shows that we watch, right? How many times do we find that we laugh at the very things God hates on TV? You ever see that? Now, admittedly, not every TV show is the VeggieTales, right? So like, but does that mean we just throw it all out and just say, well, I'll just watch whatever then. No, I still think we need to be wise in what we watch. So often now on TV, we're laughing at the things God hates. We're cheering for, we're wanting to have happen what God detests. 
We all struggle with sin. We all, we have been saved by the gospel and no longer are we under the power of sin, but we still struggle with the temptation of sin. We still struggle with the fear of man. This is something we struggle with. We struggle with living consistently with the gospel at times. And what we see here is the last one I want to say is what we do affects others. Your sin does not just affect you. Here in our passage, Peter's sin has affected the whole church. Barnabas, the guy who goes with them on the first missionary journey to preach to Gentiles, he compromises here. The rest of the Jews, they compromise. Look, if you're a parent, the way you parent your children affects your children. You're either leading them to trust in the gospel or you're leading them to trust in themselves. You're either revealing the gospel, or you're concealing the gospel in the way you speak and the way that you parent them. Let me ask you, how do you tangibly demonstrate to your children your love for Jesus Christ? How do you tangibly demonstrate that? If you're in the workplace, how do you talk? How do you work? How do you relate to others so that you reveal the gospel and you don't conceal the gospel from them how do you do that if you're a student you're at school how do you reveal the gospel at school versus rather than conceal the gospel how do you stand up and be a light when everyone else is laughing at things or joking about things and rather than making compromises and making decisions that you know are not right how do you stand firm in the gospel your neighbors are watching you every day what do they see you know, what do your neighbors know about you? When they look at you, do they see themselves? He goes to work, he comes home, he, he does all the same things that I do. He is no different than me. Or how do they know that you're different? How are you revealing the gospel? Even if you have short, short conversations with them at the mailbox, how are you revealing the gospel? How are you a light in those areas? Understand this. How we live affects not only ourselves, but it affects others peter's sin causes the entire church to sin against god and taint the testimony of the gospel to the community that they're in don't think that your sin however private it may be affects only you your hypocrisy will affect your spouse will affect your children will affect your neighbors will affect your co-workers you're either leading people to christ or you're leading them to hell. That's where we're going. There's only two options that are given in Scripture. Now perhaps, this sounds scary now, perhaps we're now aware of all the ways that we're inconsistent. Maybe your mind is flooded at the moment going, wow, I've maybe not led my children well, or my spouse well, or my neighbors well. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we begin living in a way that honors God, that fears God, and does not fear man. So this is, this is the solution part. This is verses 15 and 16 of our text. And I just want to read them again, and then we're going to unpack them with three points. But what I want you to notice as we do this, Paul does not rub Peter's face in his failures. He doesn't do that. He's going to give him the gospel. Showing people their failures will not transform them. It's good to bring it up. Look, there's an inconsistency here. There's a problem. But if you only give people their failures, two things will happen. Either they'll go into depression, they won't try at all, or 
You're going to motivate them like you might motivate me because this is my personality. And I will try so hard that I will never fail again. And I will be trusting in my personality and my work and my effort. And I won't be trusting in God. So what we want to do is we want to point out inconsistencies, but then lead them to God through the gospel. And so notice that this is exactly what Peter does. Look at verse 15 again. He's going to say, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So there's three things that Paul does here. Number one, Paul reminds Peter of a right understanding of the gospel. And there's a slight typo in your bulletin because I changed the way the point is worded. And so your bulletins have it slightly wrong because they were already printed. So Paul reminds Peter of a right understanding of the gospel. He's going to reorient Peter to the truth of God's word. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Here's an identity thing. You know who we are, Peter. We're Jews by birth. We've kept the Old Testament law for a really long time. We're not Gentile sinners, meaning we're not those without the law. We're not those who did not have the law. We grew up keeping ceremonial laws. We, get, we grew up keeping purification laws. But then Peter says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. It's as if Peter is saying, or as if Paul is saying to Peter, you know, we kept all the rules. We did everything that was required of us, but it never saved us. Keeping rules and eating certain foods and washing our hands in certain ways doesn't save. In fact, none of our works ever made us more righteous. And in verse 21, in verse 21, if you look down at the end of Galatians 2, Paul says, If the law had been given that could make us righteous, <clears throat> then Christ died for no purpose. Is it the reason Jesus died on the cross is because we cannot come to him <clears throat> that's exactly what this book actually is all about the garden the curtain and the cross there's something separating us and it's our sin keeps us away from god and because we cannot come to god god sends his son jesus christ to die on the cross that we could be saved that by grace through faith in christ remember those solas that that's how we'd be saved Verse 16, Paul says, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way we're saved is through Jesus. Jesus makes us clean. Jesus justifies us. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. Paul is saying, Peter, you know that law-keeping does not make it righteous. It does not make us righteous. But when we fear man, we reverse the order. We think we make ourselves righteous before God. That's kind of like taking cherries stapling them onto a cherry tree or stapling them onto an apple tree and hoping that you're going to get cherries just because the cherries are connected to the tree it does not change the root your actions do not change your heart you can follow every law that there is but you will move no closer to jesus christ and not make yourself any more worthy of christ it's only by grace through faith in Christ that we're saved. Um, next, Paul reminds Peter how he received the gospel. Notice how Paul is going to make this very personal. 
He turns and he says, so we, Paul, you and me, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified not by, and not by works of the law. You notice how, do you just see how gentle Paul is? Remember when, when Adam and Eve sin in the garden? What does God do? Does he come storming through the garden? Where are you? I will kill you. No, he's gentle. He just simply asks a question. Where are you? What have you done? Here, Paul, he comes like a father who hugs his son who has just failed his college exam. He holds him and whispers truce into his ear, reminding him, your accomplishments and your failures do not make you right before God. So what we see here, this is what Paul is doing. Peter has put a mask over his face. He's pretending to be someone he's not. He's pretending to be someone who needs to be saved by Old Testament law. And the way we remove the mask is through the gospel. When you're at work, the way you remove the mask of hypocrisy and the fear of God is through the gospel. At school, the way we remove our mask, the need to fear, the need to feel like we're accepted by others, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's through the gospel we see God's love. Because in the gospel, we see that we are bigger sinners than we ever thought we were, right? And we see in the gospel we're more loved than we ever thought we could be through Jesus Christ. It's through the gospel we understand we're given a new identity in God, that we're now his sons, we're now his daughters. And because we're sons of God, what do we receive? The full inheritance of Christ. We share in the very same inheritance that the Son of God has. And so what we want to do, parents... We want to lead our children into knowing the gospel because it's through the gospel that they will learn to be confident in who God has made them to be and they will not try to continually put on masks at school or at work or wherever else they will be. And the same is for us, parents or grandparents or if you're single or if you have no kids. The same truth is for us. The way we remove the masks is not by trying harder but it's by believing in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Um, I'm going through a book right now with Andrew. Our, our staff book is called Devoted to God. It's a book on holiness. And the author used a really neat illustration that just kind of stuck in my head as soon as I saw it. He said, when we're in grade school, we all begin to learn proper grammar, right? We learned that we do not say things like more better, Anyone say more better this week? It's a great phrase. It's more better than most of the other phrases. Um, we also say John and me. Are, we, we, we do not say John and me are going to the store because it's more better to say John and I are going to the store, right? Like we learn proper grammar. But have you ever noticed like, like the teacher teaches the proper grammar. The kids go into the playground and they say dodgeball is more better than tetherball. Or it's Hey, John and me are over here. Why don't you come over and play with us? Like, as soon as we hit the, the, uh, the recess in the playground, like, we forget the truth and the realities that we just learned. And so, what does the, what does the teacher do? She reminds us, right? Over and over and over again. And that's exactly what we need today. The same is true for us. When we become new in Jesus Christ, we become saved. We become adopted in the family of God. We're given a new identity. But we are perfect, or we are professional sinners, right? 
We've done it for X amount of years before we were saved. And so we're still going to have the tendency to want to sin. And so what we need to do is continually come to the gospel that we'd be reminded of the new truth of who we are and that over time, that will become the reality in which we regularly think about. So there's three ways we do that at least. Reading the Bible regularly at home, yourself, just reading the Bible. Reading the Bible with others is a great way also. Coming to, and also coming together as a church that we read and we study the Bible together. Those are three ways that we regularly remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last one, um, Paul reminds Peter of how the Bible speaks about the gospel. This one's key. The last line of verse 16 is actually a quote from Psalm 143, verse 2. In Psalm 143, David is being attacked by his enemies, and he feels as if he's about to be destroyed. And so in 143, verse 2 of, of Psalm, he cries out, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. He's like, God, I don't want you to come at me with, as a judge. Because as a judge, I am not worthy to be saved. I am not righteous. I am not perfect. I am not holy. Don't save me because I am holy. But nonetheless, he still cries out to him. Now in verse 11, Paul's go, or David is going to give the basis for which he wants God to save him. Psalm 143, verse 11. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. What's the basis? The namesake of God. The righteousness of God. He's crying out to God to have grace upon him and based upon his righteousness, not on David's righteousness. And that's what we learn here. Paul is coming to Peter and saying, Peter, you know that no one is saved by the works, by works, of the, by works of the law. He says, you know that you receive the gospel through faith, not by works. And then he says, Peter, the entire Old Testament is about salvation by grace through faith. No, nowhere in the Old Testament is God calling his people to earn their salvation by works. What he's doing is just reminding Peter of all the truths that he knows, but Peter has forgotten because he's beginning to fear man. And so he is taking him back to the Bible. Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament necessarily like we did at this time. So their Bible is primarily the Old Testament. So he's taking him right back to the Bible. And with the Old Testament, he says, Peter, it's always been by faith, buddy. It's always been by faith. And so he's leading them right back to a proper understanding God has never called us to earn our way to him. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you are here and you've not believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible testifies there's nothing that you can do to make yourself righteous before God. There's no way we earn his grace. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So I, I urge you to believe in Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about that, come talk to me afterwards. Come talk to those around you. If you're a Christian... I urge you, regularly remind yourself of the gospel. We, do, we are freed from the power of sin, but we still struggle with the temptation of sin. And we struggle with fearing man at times. And the way to overcome the fear of man is through the gospel. So I urge you to continue to come back to the gospel, 
Remind yourself of who you are regularly, that you would stand firm for God and testify to others the truth of the gospel. And one way we're actually going to testify of the gospel and by the grace of the gospel is by taking communion today. And so um, I want to ask the men to come forward who are going to partake of, or are going to help hand out communion. We have an open communion here, meaning you do not need to be a member of Timberline Baptist Church. What we simply ask is that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you know that by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ. And so if that is true, then we urge you to take, for, to take um, of the elements. I want to remind you, Easter is coming up, and Easter is not a more special day than other days in the sense that we're still going to gather and we're still going to preach the gospel as we preach the gospel every week. But I want to give extra emphasis on the fact that there are people who will come on Easter that won't come on other days, um, whether they're believers or just somehow detached from church at this moment, or many of you just have unbelieving friends. I want, to con- I want to urge you to begin praying for them and to begin asking them to come, uh, just that they would hear the gospel, uh, that they also would be exposed to the word of God, and just be praying for their salvation. So I really want to encourage you, and as a church over the next few weeks, we'll just be praying for that day again. I don't want to say because it's a more special day that we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel every week, um, but that is a day where there'll be most likely more people who are not usually a part of a church. And so I want to just continue to make you aware of that and um, that uh, you'd be praying for them. If you are a parent and you want that book, come see me. Uh, I'm going to pray and we are dismissed. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross because we cannot come to you. But you have come to us. You have taken our sins. You have bore the punishment of them. That we, by grace through faith in you, would be justified, declared righteous forever. May we know that, God. Help us as a church to be rooted deeply in the gospel. And Lord, may we continue to be in the gospel. That we not be tempted by sin put on masks and pretend that we're not. Lord, we love you so much. In your name, Jesus, amen.